0: Well, I'm just going to share for a few minutes, going to give a recap of what I shared last week because I'm jealous for the family conversation, for all of us to be in the same family conversation. So I'm going to give this recap probably four or five more times in the next uh, two months. But I'll just kind of give it brief and cover the same material. And then after I'm sh- done sharing, then Isaac's going to come up and share a dream that we feel like is relevant for this hour. Then we're going to have some two or three come up and share some of the things that they shared Wednesday on about 5,000 of our body here uh, participated in the Wednesday uh, Zoom call or technology call, whatever we're calling it, and a tremendous response. And so we're going to recap some of that because I want us to hear that as well, then we'll have a little ministry time after that. First of all, I just want to remind you real clear that the main thing we're praying for is we're contending for an historic outpouring of the Holy Spirit across our nation. And of course, the nations of the earth. That's the big theme. A matter of fact, every fasting and prayer time, that is the actual big theme. I don't know that anything would ever be more important than that. Because a historic outpouring of the Holy Spirit will energize all the other facets of the kingdom. And we're believing God for, with thousands in our nation, for a third great awakening. A historic outpouring of the Spirit, a third great awakening. Now, the gospel has been preached in America for 400 years. But there's only been two what are considered great awakenings. One of them, in the middle of the 1700s, called the first great awakening. You'll know some of the names. Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, George Whitfield the First Great Awakening. It swept across the East Coast in a hi- incredibly powerful, historic way. Then about a hundred years later, the middle of the 1800s, there's what's called the Second Great Awakening. And guys like Charles Finney, D.L. Moody, those will be some names that some of you would be familiar with. Since then, there have been seasons of revival Where in geographic areas, there were temporary, important seasons of renewal and revival, temporary and mostly local, sometimes touching several hundred thousand people, like in Toronto and in Pensacola, several million actually. But it wouldn't be of the same stature as a third great awakening. So we're still believing that in terms of impact. And so we're praying for a historic outpouring of the Spirit from Joel 2. Now the key word in Joel 2... I mean, there's the fasting and prayer early in the chapter. But he says, and afterwards, God will pour out his spirit. We pray this prayer all the time. Joel 2 or Acts 17, because Acts, Acts 2.17 quotes Joel 2. But here's the key word, that all of your sons and daughters will prophesy. And we can just kind of run over that and miss it. Beloved, a day is coming. When every single born-again believer will operate in the spirit with dreams and visions. Every single born-again believer, male, female, young, old, Jew, Gentile, all the sons and daughters who call on the name of the Lord. I'm talking about a billion. And the closer we get to that day, which culminates with the coming of the Lord, the closer we get to that day, the larger the number and the greater scope of dreams and visions are being released. So every time we have a corporate prayer and fasting, we're always leaning into that because we're getting closer to the day, and so there's more and more that are getting touched. We want this spiritual family, all of us, and across America, we want dreams, visions, the power of the Spirit, words of knowledge, the activity of the Spirit. So that's major theme number one. That's the major theme of every prayer and fasting time, really. We have three sub-themes, and sub-themes is kind of... A dumb way to say it, because they're very important, but they're under this major one, and the verses that we're using, that I used last Friday and Sunday, and we'll say them over and over, Revelation 3, Psalm 2, and Isaiah 19, and the point of this recap is that all of us become familiar with those three passages, Now, I'm going to give you a minute on each one of them, and again, I'll probably do this every week for a while. Because we want, remember the the point, we want all of us in the family conversation together. Regardless what measure of fasting or how much you're in the prayer room, we're in this thing together. And it's more than us. It's for our city, it's for our nation. With all the others that are joining into these 40-day fasts or whatever number, there's a lot of this going on in America right now. This This is good. This is good. So the context... Let's put Matthew 24 up on the screens. The context, kind of the backdrop to all of this, this is what we're assuming, is the passage I looked at last week in Matthew chapter 24. I'm gonna let him put it up there on the screens. Matthew 24, there you go. And I'm not gonna go through it, but I just want you to be familiar. Most of you get the Matthew 24. It's this list of pressures that are growing, and they're called birth pains. Some translation, Matthew 24, verse 8, calls them birth pangs. Most translations call it birth pains. The New King James, uh, the version I uh, use, calls it the beginning of sorrows. Here's the point. That these birth pains are going to intensify and get stronger and stronger, more intense... And the reprieve between the contractions is going to get shorter. The point being that we're in a time of history, and I'm calling it the most dramatic, transitional decade in human history, the night to the 2020s. I believe this 10-year period, give or take a few years, we'll look back over it and see the Earth transitioned in a very dramatic way in this decade. And the birth pangs is in the backdrop. I mean, it's in the conversation. There's a a list of pressures. I'm not going to go through them. My point is the pressures are going to intensify. They're not going to disappear. And so the analogy that I've used is that we're swimming against a one-mile-an-hour current right now with the pressures and the culture and persecution. It's a one-mile-an-hour current in the body of Christ. We're in a strategic training season, not just Kansas City, not just us. I'm talking about the body of Christ in America. talking about the body of Christ in the earth. And we're swimming against the one-mile current, and it takes effort. But we can't sit out this training season because the next round is going to be two miles an hour. It's not going back to zero. It's got to go to two miles an hour, using the analogy, then three, then four, then five. So this isn't a time to sit it out. This is a time to do the spiritual muscle development, the spiritual push-ups. I'm not going to go through that. I mentioned that Friday and Sunday. But I want you to know there are global birth pangs. Now, the difference between the birth pangs throughout history in local areas where there have been crisis in nations, the global birth pangs or birth pains, they affect the global conversation. I mean, the conversation in the earth. Everyone in the earth is talking about the COVID and the financial issues. The global birth pangs not only affect the global conversation, it changes The global economics as well. And it affects dramatically the global legislation. The policies and laws that governments make are affected in those birth pangs. So they're not just local, but they're global. And the whole earth is listening to them. But those birth pangs are going to intensify. That's the context, the backdrop of these three sub-themes that we're looking at. The pressures are increasing. We got to go for it together. We gotta go for it together. Pressure number one. I'm gonna give the three sub-themes or the three uh, under the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's what we call, I mean, when we say it fast, we say Revelation 3. And what I mean by Revelation 3, it's really about two or three verses here. I bet mean, it's the whole chapter, of course. We understand it. It's the Laodicean church, and Jesus says in verse 16, let's go ahead and put that up on the screens so they can follow along. He looks at it, and he says, You're lukewarm. Here's the crisis. You don't know that you're spiritually wretched. They were content with their spirituality. But Jesus, in his kindness, he says, you don't know you're spiritually miserable. You're bored with me. You're bored in the word. You don't have a vibrant spirit. And he's not actually angry at him because he says in the passage later that I'm saying this because I love you with tender love. But here's the glorious news. Verse 18. And we're all focused on this. He says, buy gold from me. He says more than that, but I want to make it real brief. So this first kind of sub-theme is that the Lord would rescue the body of Christ, us, and the body of Christ in America, rescue us from the Laodicean spirit of compromise and the Laodicean spirit of dullness. So theme number one, major theme, historic outpouring of the Spirit. Sub-theme number one, rescued from the spirit of compromise and not just rescued from our terrible condition, but we enter into the gold. We begin to get gold. And we're going to, I talked a bit about that last week and we're going to keep talking about it, but I want it in everyone's mind. It's the gold that he's offering that Laodicean generation. That's good news because the Laodicean church, as I said last week, has the worst description, the most negative description of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. There are seven churches that get identified by Jesus in Revelation 2 and 3. They have the most negative description, but they have the most glorious promises. He says, I'm going to give you gold. If you'll rise up and I'll help you rise up, I'll give you gold. And we'll talk more about that later. The second sub-theme, so the first one is rescue from the spirit of the Laodicean compromise and dullness. The second one, Psalm chapter 2. We say, Revelation 3, Psalm 2, Isaiah 19. Psalm 2. Look at You can see it on the screen. Now, Psalm 2's got a lot of dimensions, but here's the part we're talking about. It's really verse 2 and 3. Verse 2, the government, the heads of state, and the rulers, the, head, the, the leaders in the culture, the media, economic leaders, academic leaders, military leaders, the, the rulers of the, in the culture. And the heads of state, they are working together, verse 3, to drive the word of God out of the culture. Now, it doesn't say in verse 3, the word of God. But it describes, I want you to get the language. I don't want you to miss Psalm Psalm 2. This is a really important passage in the body of Christ right now. They are describing the word of God in one of the most horrible ways they could describe the word of God. They describe the word of God as bondage. So the kings of the earth, they say, we're going to break God's bondage off of us, which means the word of God. Those biblical values, those old-fashioned, archaic, out-of-date biblical values drive it out of the culture, out of the public square, out of the academics, drive it out of everywhere and penalize the people who want those values. So the sub-unit or sub-theme number two is that we would be strengthened to stand up in the Psalm 2 crisis. The Psalm 2 crisis is persecution, but with the legal system backing it up. That's what the heads of state are about, the kings and the rulers. They're using the legal system with financial penalties to penalize people who say the word of God isn't bondage. It's actually liberty. And we've seen in the last 10 weeks, the last two or three years, an escalation of this, and it's going to really increase beyond what it is now. So that's the sub-theme number two. First is to rescue us from the Laodicean compromise. Second, that we would be strengthened so we don't waver because we know this pressure is going to intensify against us. We're girded, and we're standing together, and we're vibrant in our spirit, and we're the Holy Spirit is able to make us stand. The weakest among us will be able to stand if we do it together. Then the third and the final subunit, subtheme, we say Isaiah 19. Now this is the most, kind of the more unusual one that I would understand many would go, Isaiah 19, what? We hear you talking about it. What is Isaiah 19 about? Well, in one sentence, and I'm not gonna break it down right now, but we are a bit in the weeks to come. It's Isaiah 19, verse 24. Now, when you read it, you think, okay, so look at it. Verse 24, in that day, that's when the Lord returns, in that generation, Israel will be one. One of three nations, but the idea is they'll be in profound unity together. Say, okay, Israel's gonna be a unity. But look who they're in unity with their most long-term hostile enemies in the Middle East with believers that are converted out of Islamic nations in the Middle East. Egypt, Israel's longest, most hostile enemy. In Jesus, in the great end-time revival, Jews are gonna get saved, Egyptians are gonna get saved, powerfully uh, born again, and Assyria. Now, today, there is no Assyria. Assyria was the superpower. One of the most powerful empires in history was Assyria in terms of the Middle East. It was in Isaiah's day, and everybody knew Assyria. I mean, it was the the superpower. And it represents about 10 Middle East nations today. The territory of ancient Assyria is Iran, Iraq, Turkey, Syria, Jordan. It's those nations, about 10 or 12 of them. I don't want to go into that right now, but here's the point. At the very, in the Middle East, the epicenter of the glory of God is going to be converted Muslims who love Jesus and they're bringing the revelation of the God of Israel to unsaved Jews and standing with them even unto death in a time of intense persecution. And the what's going to happen is in the Middle East it's going to be the it's the John 17 one as I and the Father are one. The epicenter of that will be right there in the Middle East right with those 10 or 12 Islamic nations believers, many of them aren't saved yet. A great revival's coming. But these believers are going to be so lovesick for Jesus, they're going to stand for Israel. And Israel will be in flight with persecution. Unsaved Jews fleeing through, out of Israel into the Middle East. They're fleeing from Israel into Middle East Islamic nations. I mean, that's not good. They, uh, Amos talked about this. It says in Amos 5, they'll run from the lion and run into the bear. They'll be fleeing from the kings of the earth coming or in Jerusalem to destroy them, but they're running to Islamic nations. But to the shock of their life, as God told King David, he, the Lord's gonna spread a table in the presence of their enemies. There's good, God's gonna have a preemptive strike, a massive revival in the Middle East of these ex-Muslims, lovesick for Jesus, revealing the God of Israel to Israel, and Israel's so overwhelmed by it That God joins them together, and that's the epicenter of the John Seventeen, the glory of the unified family. Now, that unified family is going all across the whole earth, but that's the global epicenter because the family of Abraham, Abraham and his sons Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, they're all the family of Abraham is going to be healed in a global setting in front of the whole earth in the Middle East, and they're going to bring the revelation of the God of Israel to Israel, and Abraham's family is going to be healed, and it says a blessing in the midst of the land. Most translations, the, the Hebrew word in, in uh, the Old Testament for land is interchangeable with earth. You know, if the, word, if the Hebrew word is used many, many times, they translated a blessing in the earth. Or they can, in the land, every translation picks one or the other. Most translations say a blessing in the earth. And what I believe that is going to be, it's the restoration of the original Garden of Eden is going to take place in the midst of those Middle East nations in Israel. Big storyline. Why do we care about this? This will be far more hostile than even the Psalm 2 persecution. Because let's look at Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3, you've heard this verse before. But maybe you haven't understood its context. Joel chapter 3, look at verse 14. It says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Let's go ahead and get the multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. The day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus, is near in the valley of decision. And then it goes on, the sun and the moon grow dark. It's clearly an end time Jesus returning passage. Here's the point the multitudes, is not just the Middle East, it will be the entire globe will be in the Valley of Decision. Because the way that the globalization and the economic and the mark of the beast and the Antichrist system, they will be hostile, the Antichrist empire, the global empire, against Israel, and the Antichrist and Satan's desire is to exterminate the Jewish people. But God's answer is that the body of Christ will rise up and stand with Israel, even like Cory Tim Boone did in her family did in the Nazi occupation and attack in the 1940s. Gentiles across the whole earth that love Jesus are going to stand up for Israel and God's purpose for Israel. And this is going to be the value of decision for the earth. Now today, that passage, well, it's not bothering us now. But this decision to stand for Israel is going to find its way into every single little village 7-Eleven store out in the islands because nobody will be able to buy, purchase, use economics. They won't be able to engage in any of the systems in the world of globalization if they stand for Israel. And so there'll be huge persecution to the Gentiles that stand for Israel, but God is going to cause Israel to be provoked jealousy because hundreds of millions of Gentiles, they're not going to forsake Israel like so many did in the Holocaust, they're going to stand with Israel because the one they love is Jesus. He is the resurrection. they'll say, we're fearless of death. we love him and we love you because he loves you and Israel will say, what are you talking about? And this valley of decision will affect every neighborhood on the planet. Multitudes, multitudes will have to decide. Now, right now, it's not that intense, but that's the five mile an hour current coming down the road. This will be the most intense issue of all. And Lou Engel in the 40-day fast, he is he is uh locking into that one right now. So we're standing with Israel and praying for Israel's salvation, and a lot of Gentiles in America and the West, they go, we don't really get the Israel thing, but There's much in the Bible, and we'll unpack it little by little in the days to come. But this Israel thing is really important, and it will affect your children and grandchildren in a very dramatic, personal way. So this isn't an issue. We go, oh, whatever. We'll just take care of itself. Because if we don't have instruction in the Word of God, and if our spirits aren't bolstered and strong in this, we'll cave in. And many will fall away from the Lord in this issue of standing with Israel. Well, the big theme, historic outpouring of the Holy Spirit to a third great awakening. All the sons and daughters prophesying. That's what we're going for. Our sons and daughters, our families being touched. The context, beginning of sorrows, birth pangs are increasing. One mile an hour current, it's going to go to two, it's going to go to three. It's not going back to zero, it's going the other way. We're in a transitional decade. The earth is going to be radically different after in this decade and after it. Sub-theme, or number one, rescue us from the spirit of compromise, the Laodicean compromise. Number two, strengthen us to stand bold with a vibrant spirit before the persecution of of our government standing against people who stand for Jesus, the Psalm 2 issue. But number three, and it's not such a big deal yet in America, it's growing, and it's going to be growing fast anti-Semitism and the body of Christ mandate from the scripture to stand with Israel because God's going to reveal the God of Israel to Israel through the Gentiles that will love them even unto death and the unsaved Jews will go why are you doing this because your Messiah Jesus of Nazareth is the resurrection and he's filled with love and life and he loves you and he's coming after you because he loves you and Israel will get saved in that context but it's going to be a global drama Many believers aren't aware of this, so that they don't think much about it, but we will not stand if we're not strongly rooted and grounded in the Word with a vibrant spirit. Final point, and then Isaac, go ahead and come on up. I have uh, John chapter 14, the gold, when Jesus says, get gold from me. I'm calling the gold the five chapters of John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, five chapters, the deepest and the most powerful truths and promises that Jesus ever taught is they call it the upper room discourse because they were in the upper room at the Last Supper. You all know the Last Supper in the upper room. They call That's why they call it the upper room discourse, those five chapters. And it starts off here in John 14. Look at this. He goes, don't be troubled. Don't let fear and offense overtake your heart. And the exhortation he gives, and then I'm going to not develop this, but I just wanted to point out, because we're going to develop this a lot in the days to come. He goes, believe in God, believe also in me. Now, if you read that, the very first verse of uh, of those four chapters of teaching, because John 13 is the meal, and then John 14, 15, 16, 17 are the teaching. He starts off, believe in me. He's not telling the apostles they need to be born again. That's not what he's saying. Hey, you know, consider inviting me into your heart. That's not what he's saying. When he says, believe in me, he goes, believe in my narrative. Believe in the storyline that I am the author of, that the prophets have given for that generation, and believe in my leadership. And so in the, for the next four chapters, he tells us how we can interact with him in a way we can have a vibrant spirit that we can believe in his narrative and his leadership. We understand it, and we're going to interact with God. Here's the most amazing thing is that in these f- uh, five chapters Jesus gives insight in how God relates to God It's like what how the father the son and the spirit interact with each other but he goes beyond he says the way that me and the father and the spirit interact we're going to invite you into that interaction with us and that's going to give you the power to overcome in the face of pressure martyrdom temptation betrayal that's how you will overcome fear because you're going to enter into that interaction the global body of christ is in these five chapters they are the gold and we're going to be focused on these five chapters till the end i mean body of christ everybody likes those chapters but almost nobody does anything with them you know, almost. But those, those five chapters are gonna be mainstream in the global conversation more and more as we get closer to the coming of the Lord. So that's kind of a nutshell of what we're looking at. That's a recap. One global, uh, I mean, one major purpose the historic outpouring of the Spirit, the third great awakening. The context is birth pangs are getting worse, stronger, and stronger. The currents are getting more intense. Revelation three, we got to overcome, be rescued from the spirit of compromise. First, Psalm two, we got to be bolstered in strength to stand before the government persecution. And then number three, the Isaiah nineteen, we're going to be a part of that story. Though the intensity will be of the Middle East, it will be a global story where we're standing for Israel with a vibrant spirit, fearless even unto death. So that's the three sub themes under the big theme of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I said all of that last week, and I'm going to say all of it again next week,
1: just so you know. Okay. Um, let's put up the email address, if you wouldn't mind. We're, we're taking some of these times on these Friday nights to just highlight different things, uh, words that the Lord has given, dreams that the Lord has given, and we want to stir up a prophetic spirit in our spiritual family we want to ask for the release of that outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that Acts 2 outpouring results in dreams and visions. And if the Lord is speaking to you, if he is presently speaking, if he has spoken in the last couple of years to you, there are things that you think are pertinent to this hour corporately, then send them in. But if it's a personal dream or word, then you don't have to share that with us, but send those things. We have a team that reviews them to pray through them and and ask the Lord uh, just You know, in the body, what is he speaking? What is he highlighting to us?
0: Corporate dreams for the corporate body of Christ that are going to encourage us and alert us for trouble, but encourage us about the promises. And those dreams are important, so we want to share them with the family. Some of that's right.
1: Well, I was asked to share this dream that I had one year ago. I had it on Valentine's Day. I took a nap and woke up, and and here's the dream. I've shared it before a year ago, and. So here it is. So in the dream, I'm standing in a forest and I can see like golden wind. It is blowing across the face of the earth. It's like the Spirit of the Lord. And everything is golden. The sky is golden, the air is golden. There's this wind just blowing, and there's a particular note musical note that I can hear in the air. It's this sound as this hurricane force wind is just blowing across the surface of the earth. And as I'm watching this, I hear the voice of what I understood to be Paul Cain. Paul Cain, the prophetic man, he died and went to be with the Lord, but was very instrumental in some of the early words and foundations of establishing the house of prayer and things that would emerge from that. So I hear his voice in the dream, and it's coming from what I perceive to be heaven. And he is talking about this Acts 2 outpouring that Mike is mentioning that talks about in the Word of God. And he's saying in this dream, in a very powerful Pentecostal 1950s-esque type of way, let the reader understand. Because
0: we have we have
1: videos of him talking like that. It is very sounds just like that. Yes. And he is saying, you know, things like a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit is coming and I'm not going to try and impersonate the way that he was doing it but you get and the great general outpouring idea outpouring of
0: the Holy Spirit's coming and all nations will bow before the Lord and all sicknesses will be healed and people will come and the stadiums will be filled like that
1: you got some Pentecostal 1950s Man, roots in I here I got a
0: little in there
1: it's down deep hey, you like that you like doing that I can tell deep. I like that yeah we're just having fun
0: so well, yours was <laughs> so weak that I had to, like,
1: <laughs> your Paul Cain thing was like, come on. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm ahead. sorry, Paul. Back series. We'll get to Anyway. Okay. So he's saying that, and these trees, I'm in this forest, I'm noticing they are, all of them are completely knocked over flat, and the roots are all exposed and, and uh, up into the air. And these trees are huge. They're 100, you know, I'm making up that number, but 100 feet tall, these massive, you know, what you'd think of mighty oak trees or sequoias or whatever they're called. And um, I'm watching these. They've all been knocked over by this golden wind, all of them. And uh, I think in the dream, I think these trees are so mighty. How could they possibly have fallen over? I can see their exposed roots uh, just like you would see if a, if a tree's uprooted. And I'm observing these roots, and I hear the, the voice of Paul Kane, who had previously been saying the stuff that Mike was shouting. He changes, he changes, and he says this. He says, there is no safety in the Republican Party. He says, there is no safety in the Democratic Party. There is no safety in streams of ministry or affiliation, meaning denominations, and the like in the body of Christ. And I'm listening to this. I look at the roots and I'm putting together the wind. It's knocking over these trees. This is what these trees mean in the dream. They are these powerful institutions streams, ministries, affiliations, all of these things that political, are not economic, rooted, political institutions that are not rooted in Christ. And the Lord is uprooting them intentionally. He was sending a wind. And this was again, one year ago, just before we went, it was a month before we went into the pandemic lockdown or whatever here. And I have this conscious thought, I'm just going to throw this out there in the dream. I'm going, no way because some of them represented religious institutions, good people and ministries, I have this thought. Christian Republicans will be the most surprised and disrupted by this move of the Spirit. I wrote that down one year ago. You even said it to us, actually. Yeah. As I am continuing to look at these roots, these uprooted trees, I began to hear the prophetic singers from the global prayer room all of a sudden they come piping in in the dream and they're singing a chorus to this musical note that's in the air with the golden wind and they're saying no one is ready no one is ready they're just repeating this chorus but it was very no beautiful one yeah it was very beautiful you could sing that because i didn't <laughs> i didn't do that i just said it was boring no, so don't. now you're on the hook. I got no, no, you. No, no. If I, I got No, this is my first time. to get. Wrong. I got you now up no, here. No, no, you no, you don't. No, I stand up here. Look, week after week, it's true. you've done geography quizzes, yeah, geopolitical true. quizzes, religion numbers, and I always get it wrong. That's right.
0: If I broke out in song, <laughs> the worship team would be so intimidated to come up later. They
1: would be uprooted. <laughs> Go ahead. We don't want to uproot no one. So anyway. I mean, we're having fun. This is, you know, whatever. So, no one is ready. No one is ready. That's the chorus that's being sung. I wake up from the dream just right immediately after that. And in in one second, the verse, out of the blue, 1 Samuel 3, verse 11, is, is in my mind, in my ears. It was the impressed upon me from the Lord, which says, the Lord said to Samuel in this verse, Behold, I'm going to do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. So, in terms of what the dream means, there's an Acts 2 outpouring of the Holy well, Spirit that is coming.
0: we got to talk about that for a second. That's 1 Samuel 3, right? right? So, the Lord speaks to the prophet, I'm going to do something in Israel that every ear will tingle. The Ark of the Covenant, the glory of God is going to be stolen from Israel and is going to be held by the pagans. And the idolaters are going to have the Ark of the Covenant. This is inconceivable that this could happen.
1: Yeah, this is the whole context of Ichabod and, Dana, and the glory of the Lord and Dana, departing. And, and, ready. Yeah. and the transition of the entire priesthood from Eli and his wicked sons to Samuel. And the Lord was establishing a new priesthood uh, in that hour. So the context is is uh, fairly relevant. So my impression is that Obviously, many in the church were not ready and are not ready for what is coming because I think there's a a portion of this that seems to be happening even in the last year as these religious and political institutions are being surprised and shocked and alarmed and exposed in many uh, different ways. Some believers, and this is what's gonna segue into our next conversation of Revelation chapter three. That's what we're gonna look at. You can turn there in your Bible if you'd like. Some believers... This was made very clear to me in this dream, and I shared this a year ago. Some believers have misplaced confidence. There's a fleshly, carnal confidence that we derive from political powers, from religious powers, and the other two things that were highlighted, from affiliation with particular ministries or denominations. What I understand that to mean is that we can join a ministry. We can attend a church. We can go there on Sundays and send our kids to youth group on Wednesdays, and we can never buy into the grace of God and a lifestyle that the Lord has called that particular ministry to. The image that I get is we go to the bonfire and we dance around it when the Holy Spirit is inviting us. No, I want you to get in the bonfire. And to our spiritual family here, it would be like moving from across the earth to come to IHOPKC and never entering in to the grace of God here and the assignment that the Lord has given us of fasting, of prayer, of reading and understanding the word of God, and of standing with Israel and many, many other things, but of coming and doing it and kind of dancing around and being satisfied to be affiliated But never actually entering in at the heart level. And the Lord is going to disrupt those that have this fleshly, carnal confidence in things that are visible. And in power structures and in organizational structures. And the Lord wants us to be rooted, yes, corporately, but individually in Him. And that's one of the shocking things, I think, about Revelation chapter 3. And I'm just going to jump right into some of this.
2: So before we do that, I just felt stirred. I'm just thinking about the story that I shared uh, about the, from the Malachi project and the power of the Holy Spirit and then what you just shared. I just, I want to read this. This This is a letter that I wrote to our leadership team on January 5th. I, was, I, felt, I felt stirred, and I had no idea what was going to happen the next day. I wrote this letter. I said, dear friends, as we, I'm going to read it as I wrote it. I tend to sometimes edit it and leave out the part where you're awesome, but I'm going to leave that part in if you don't mind. So just get ready for you being awesome.
1: I just took a nap.
2: Good. <laughs> no, I mean, because he's going to reference the dream,
1: but all I did was fall asleep. I know, but
2: I like I talking about how awesome you are. I wrote, dear friends, as we come up to a key moment today and tomorrow in our nation, I'm very troubled, as we all are, by the state of our union in America. Someone online said it this way. I'm a little bit worried that this pandemic has caused our society to legitimately fracture into two parallel societies that exist in the same physical space, but have accepted opposing sets of foundational truths. I am shocked that, now this is what I wrote, I am shocked at how irreconcilably polarized our nation is, and even more shocked that the church in America finds itself on either side of this divide, conservative and progressive with almost no prophetic voice standing apart from the fray and therefore a very diminished ability to pierce the darkness with clarity and the heart of Jesus. The church, globally, just seems to have very little of substance to say at the moment. Here's the big statement. The only thing I've heard personally on the prophetic side of things that has held up or felt substantive... And helpful to prepare hearts last year was Isaac's dream, related to the confidence the church places in democratic or republican institutions, etc. There have been many predictions, and the conversation seems to be around whether the predictions are accurate. As we know, the prophetic is about so so much more than predicting the future accurately. Rather. It is to help align our hearts and lives to God's version of the future. I want to say that again. The prophetic isn't about predicting the gender of your baby. That's a 50-50 shot. The gender isn't about predicting who the next president is going to be. That's not the prophetic. If there's no, prof- if there's no repentance, I question whether it's prophetic. It's to help align our hearts and lives to God's version of the future. doesn't have to be major repentance. It doesn't have to be tears. It just has to be a, I need to make a shift. I'm a little out of alignment. God's version of the future was different than my version of the future. That to me is the prophetic. The true prophetic, therefore, has dimensions of repentance and turning as it aligns and establishes God's people into a root system that can bear the weight of what is to come. I see and hear so very little of that anywhere. That in and of itself feels like judgment to me. I am very sober and concerned. I said this January 5th. I had no idea this was coming. I said, I'm wondering if we go on another extended fast together. I just kind of thought, I bet one's coming. Who knows? If, If it happens, if somebody calls a fast, I mean, you can always count on Lou. We love you
1: for that, Lou.
2: We do. I love him so much. Which, side note, he's going to be on that live broadcast on Wednesday. He'll be with us just talking about his heart for the fast, which I just love him so much. I said, I'm wondering if we go on another extended fast together, if we do not consider contending as a people for the resurgence of the true prophetic in the church, here and around the body of Christ worldwide. I feel... The great need of the church for the supernatural, the power of the Holy Spirit to heal and deliver. And the great need for the true prophetic in our midst. I miss the trembling at his word that true prophetic ministry produces. I miss the work of the Spirit in our midst in a dynamic way. We are in very great need. I just want to submit this to you to consider and to pray about love me. I I feel like the, the hour that we've come to, I, uh, I, w- I just wrote it today in my little journal. I feel like the church of the last hundred years in America has tried to stand for the truth, which I love. Truth aligns us, aligns our lives. But without the power of the Holy Spirit and without the beauty of God, those are the keys that unlock the heart to receive truth. Truth without beauty is an argument. We need the beauty of God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need something far beyond ourselves to awaken hearts. I feel like the church has been telling America the truth for a hundred years, but this generation is turning back to the church and going, what is truth? Well, I got my truth. What's your truth? We need truth that transcends. We need truth that is bigger than someone's version or personal experience. The only way we get to transcend in truth is beauty and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm feeling our need for it. We are losing the truth argument without the Holy Spirit and beauty. But you get the power of the Holy Spirit and you get beauty, you win that truth argument really fast. Because there's that transcendent, inarguable truth that's established through power and fruit. And that's just, we're lacking it. We're just In this mode where we're settling for less, one of the reasons we do night and day prayer, one of the reasons why we're fasting is because we're not settling for less. We know that there's more in the kingdom to be had. We can't earn it or make it happen. And so we position ourselves in weakness to ask and to reach to see what happens. We're in a who knows. The thing about the power of the Holy Spirit on the church, it's a who knows. We don't know if he's gonna give us a little or a lot, but I do know that what we have now isn't working. We're not winning arguments by getting the right people in political power. Though I, I want to get Christians in, poly, in, in office. I do want to do that. I want to vote. I want to get them in office. I want to change laws. I want all of that. But if we get Christians in office, change laws, and have no power and have no beauty, what do we have to show for it yeah. culturally at the end of the day? So I, you're just, you're, I'm just thinking of the testimony I shared at the beginning and your dream and I'm supposed to be framing out the Revelation 3 thing, but, but I just wanted to hit that for a minute. Well, I think,
1: I think you're hitting it right on because here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that we go through these 40 days, we get these narratives, we get these Psalm 2, Revelation 3, and then we go tell everyone, hey, the church is in a Laodicean hour, everyone. We all get on Facebook, we tell our friends back home that they're the Laodiceans. <laughs> of course, that we wouldn't ever do that. Uh, <clears throat> Well, it's easy to imagine that it's someone else. But the problem with the Laodicean church is that they did not know that it was them the Lord was talking about. And that's where it starts getting real personal. And I'm setting up Dana to get real personal with you. So she has to be the one to do it. But the point is, is that we need to take these passages and then apply them to us, to IHOPKC to the prayer movement and our spiritual family. And we need to talk to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, are we operating in a spirit of lukewarmness? Has our love become lukewarm before you? And if it is, would you show us, would you give us a way out? And that's what I'm carrying in my heart. just trembling before the Lord for our own spiritual family. I, mean, I feel like such a dork standing up here even saying it because I know the Lord hasn't fully dealt with me yet in that Revelation 3 reality, but we have to take these things and point them at us, not just look out there and say, woo, we got it figured out.
2: No, I'll help Dana. I'll go there first. For real. I, no, for real. I mean it. I, I, I want to go there first because of what I just said about the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to say that and then be honest about where I'm at. I'm coming into this fast and yes, I want more of the power of the Holy Spirit and the beauty of God, which is the beauty of who he is and the things about him that move my heart and touch my, touch my, the the core of my being and I'm alive in the truths of who he is. I want that, but when I'm coming into this fast, I'm going, Lord, I got 40 days. I want to see if we can't go to war against the areas of boredom in my life. When I read Revelation 3, if I keep it at lukewarm or dullness, I can make it about somebody else. But the moment I changed the word in Revelation 3 to boredom, I went, ooh, I'm busted. Because it's so easy for me to default to media and text threads and, and emails, just finding different ways to, to, to put balm on the itch of my soul which was made for beauty. Beauty is the antidote to boredom. But I hardly touch beauty because I so quickly surrender to boredom. And the Lord's addressing that in Revelation 3. He's going, you're bored. You're bored with me. And the, and the thing that, that hit me in the prayer room on Wednesday when we're getting ready for this conversation, this will set you up. The thing that hits me, I'm just sitting there and out of the blue, I hear this phrase. I hear... Uh, Infidelity is the fruit of boredom. Idolatry is the fruit of boredom. And I'm like, and all of a sudden, boom, it just starts making sense. And I start getting sad. I start grieving in my soul. Because of what boredom unto infidelity says about your spouse. It's about the ways that boredom... Rather than being interested in the beauty of your spouse and interested in who they are, it dehumanizes and changes the narrative of who they are and begins searching for something better, more exciting. What that says about your spouse, I'm just sitting in my chair, I'm just getting so sad. And then to switch it over to idolatry, the Lord's going, no, and what it says about me, when you're bored with me, the idolatry that comes out of boredom, what it says, what you're saying about me, what you're saying about me is the one that satisfies your heart and moves you. What you're saying, you're looking for the better option out of boredom. But it's just, it's just what I do. You know, It's like I'm, I'm praying and the, the text message goes off my phone. It's like, ooh, oh good. Just the, the ways in which I find quick relief out of boredom. And the Lord goes, no, do, do you know what that, that's more serious than you realize. You don't see how serious that is. And you don't see, which is the Jesus of the Sermon on the Mount. You don't take it seriously because you don't see where this takes you if you don't do something about it. In repentance and I and gold. And so I just wanted to start with me. Like I'm not going to the fast going, Lord, power the Holy Spirit for them. I'm going, no, Lord, start with me. I want to find, I want to root out, I want to attack. I want to go after the areas of boredom in my own life. And, and personalize Revelation 3 and not make it about my friends. And so, there you go.
3: Because the thing is, we tend to hide. We hide from ourselves. We hide under our, you know, our big intentions, our sincere words to the Lord, our sincere songs. And the Lord, he's so jealous. He won't leave us alone. The thing about Revelation 3 is Jesus, the words are sharp, but the heart is tender. The heart of Jesus is saying, I refuse to leave you where you are. I won't leave you in spiritual boredom. I won't leave you distracted. I want to take you. I have things for you you can't even dream of. And yet, I refuse to do your part for you. You have to buy the gold. And so I think the Lord is just inviting us again. It's been a long conversation. The Lord has been highlighting Revelation 3 for a long time. It would almost seem like we might say to the Lord, aren't we done with that? And honestly, I feel the jealousy of the Lord. No, he's not done because there's gold to be bought and there's boredom to be turned into fascination with beauty. There is an exchange, but he will not do our part. So I just feel the trembling Um, Like the Lord wants us to tremble. He's really in our face right now. He's really asking us to sit down, dial down, turn things off, gaze on the word of God in loving dialogue. This is how we buy the gold. We, We turn the word of God into prayer. We turn it into conversation. We actually do it. We do it. No one can do it for you. He won't do it for us. I have to do it. I have to do it. And we sit with him and we say, I want to buy gold. And he will give that gold. He will be faithful to to do his part. But I think the hardest and scariest part is just that first facing our condition. We don't want to be wretched, blind, miserable, and poor. And Jesus is saying, I'm tender with you. I have a journey to take you on. Trust me and, and let me take you on that journey
1: one of the things he's highlighting and he's showing us our spiritual reality before him as wretched, poor, blind, naked, and all of these things. And our spiritual reality is so much more important than our spiritual intentions. We can be a part of a prayer ministry and live among a fiery community and have so many wonderful spiritual intentions But spiritual intentions will not prepare our hearts for what is coming. They won't prepare us for what is now. We have to have spiritual reality, and that doesn't come through affiliation, and that doesn't come through sitting through messages or hearing the things that you're even hearing right now. This doesn't give you the gold that Jesus is talking about. That gold is refined in the fire of your own journey, your own walk with the Lord, your own conversations of your heart, your own repentance, your own leaning in, your own asking of the Holy Spirit, Lord, am I this? Lord, I need the reality of who you are. I can't live in, a, in an, an intention. I can't live with a reputation that I am something just because I moved my family here to IHOP and now I have the reputation that I'm whatever IHOP's is known for out there. You know, We have to have reality inside of us. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into in this hour.
2: What opened up for me in the passage that just changed everything. You're reading Revelation 3. You're reading the Laodicean church. And what shifted for me was remembering that he's not just saying it as a father. He's saying it as a bridegroom as a bridegroom because again just think of it and when you read it read it as a husband talking to a wife and as a husband talking to a wife he's going you're not you're neither hot with passion and love for me or cold with hatred for me i'd wish you would be one of those you're bored you're indifferent towards me you're going through the motions think about a marriage conversation you're going through the motions and he's not saying it as a condemning husband who's angry he's going I'm standing at the door, and I'm knocking. I'm right here before you. And, and if you'd open it, and if you would love me, then he says the, the thing on the back half of the passage. He goes, I will give you a place on my throne. Not only will I eat with you, not only will I have a meal with you. Like that part to me, and when I read that, I read that as his highest desire. His highest desire, when you boil it all down, it's Jesus going, probably one of the most enjoyable things for me is to sit down and have a meal with you. Can you imagine finding yourself bored, indifferent, and uninterested in marriage, and your spouse is looking at you going, no, the dream of my heart is to have a meal with you and be with you and hear your heart. I am, in other words, he's saying, I am really interested in this relationship. I am really moved by who you are. I am alive with fire on the inside when I think about who you are. I've not lost interest one moment in you. you got to hear that when you hear this passage. He's not going, you are wretched. You are bad. He's going, no, this is hurting me. Our marriage is to be about so much more. And it's hurting me to see you this way. I want to bring you to my throne. I want to have you alongside of me as my bride. I want to give you the dignity of partnership with me, and you're settling in lukewarm indifference and boredom, wondering if there's a better offer, wondering if you missed your promotion, wondering why there's no favor on your life, wondering why more isn't going on at work, wondering why more people aren't listening to you when you talk, wondering why your Bible study isn't bigger, wondering why you don't have more influence. The Lord goes, Oh, I, this is about so much more than that. When I read it through that divine passion of a bridegroom appealing to a fiery marriage, it just changes the passage. And, it, and there's just that thing that stirs you that goes, oh God, I'm sorry. I am sorry. Like It's not just I want to go after boredom. It's I'm sorry for what, I've, what that says about you and what it says about our friendship and what it says about our relationship. I am so sorry like that's, where, that's where I'm stirred when I read that passage.
3: Yeah, I keep thinking of, of that passage in James 4 when he says, Adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And then he says, he yearns jealously over the spirit he put within you. That jealous bridegroom that's saying, I am still knocking. Will you answer? Will you Come, will you answer this invitation that I, I honor your voluntary heart? It's voluntary love. I want you to choose. Will you do it? Will you meet me here and buy the gold?
2: Holy Spirit, just speak to our hearts right now. Just put your hand on us. All over this room. Help us. You deliver us because you delight in us. You love us. You delight in us. It's your joy to have this conversation with us because of where we can go if we respond. In faith, speak to us right now all over this room those that are watching speak to us as a bridegroom with desire not a bridegroom with disappointment a bridegroom with desire jealousy for what this marriage could be what we were saved for If you're here and you're saying, Yeah, you're reading my mail too. I'm right there with you. I wanna I wanna ask the Lord to to help me to go to war against boredom and get me into that moved heart, fascinated by beauty. I want that. I wanna be honest about how often I'm unmoved, going through the motions. I want to be delivered. I want, to, I want out of that.
1: There's a second group I want you all to be able to stand up or whatever. Dave's going to have you do it at the same time so that we don't know the difference. <laughs> it's this. It's that the thoughts never even crossed your mind that you could be lukewarm. That's good. The thoughts never even enter. You've read this passage. You've heard it. You've talked about it. It's never even crossed your mind that you might be in a state of lukewarm spirituality before the Lord and you don't even know. That's the problem with those in this passage. They do not know. And if the thought has never crossed your mind, whatever Dave's about to invite us to do, I want you to respond as well. The thoughts never crossed your mind or you're being struck in that Boredom pieces convicting you, touching your heart.
2: yeah, that's what that I have.
4: Uh, this morning, uh, one of the things that uh, I was pondering was uh, something one of my old mentors told me some years ago. He, he talked about living our lives moment by moment. And as we're responding to the Lord, the the, the thing that we are saying yes to goes back to the thing that Mike shared last week, where we're saying yes to doing those push-ups. We're not saying yes to, you know, getting out of blocks and going for a sprint. We're we're saying yes to to doing the moment-by-moment push-ups in the Word, speaking the Word back to the Lord. Um, I shared last week that one of the things that surprises me till this day that happened today, you know, you're having uh, some kind of a, you know, you have a negative emotion and you just take a moment and pause and you you speak to the spirit inside of you. You say, Lord, help me or Lord, release your light or Lord, I want to know more of your love. It is absolutely surprising how quickly he actually comes and he meets us. And that's the thing that we're saying yes to. And the second thing is, is that, um, the, the, one of the reasons I think we tend to be afraid of facing our condition is because we cannot perceive how he feels about us when we come before, uh, before him with, with, uh, with that condition. And, uh, um, and so I'm thinking about Hebrews 4 where, where, where the writer says that we can come before the throne of grace with confidence, with boldness. Because we have a sympathetic high priest who will give us mercy, we cry out to him in need. So I just kind of want to put that before us, that we're saying yes to doing the the push-ups, the moment-by-moment, yes-by-yes push-ups. That's the thing we're saying yes to, and that as we're faced with our condition, we actually can come before him knowing that we have a sympathetic high priest who will give us mercy because of his blood in a time of need.
2: Well, if you're going, Lord, I'm in. I I might not have even been in for the fast, but I think I am now for something. I just want something to shift. I want to invite you just right where you're at to stand right where you are. You're going, Lord, I'm presenting myself to you. You're my only option here. It's right where you are. You're saying, here I am, Lord. It's you you and I. I want to have you pray for one another in a moment. But before you do, would you just, a um, few of you are already doing it. You can put your hand on your heart or you can just put your both hands like you're receiving a gift. We're just presenting ourselves to the Lord. We're just making our, our life, our heart, a giant target for his arrow of grace. He's such an expert marksman. We're just saying, here we are. Dana, would you, would you pray for us?
3: Yes, Lord, here we are. But right now I ask for courage and confidence in your heart. Lord, to meet you, to look you in the eye. God, we just present ourselves to you. You are the kindest one. You have our good in mind. You want to give us all that's in your heart, but you are drawing forth that voluntary yes, that response in our heart to say, yes, Lord, it's what I want. Lord, you've brought us to this place. Lord, I ask right now, just each of us in our own hearts that we would meet you there, that you would meet us there. Jesus, the bridegroom, Jesus, the jealous one, you refuse to have half of us. You refuse to leave us in spiritual dullness and superficiality. You want to bring us into that strength, that vibrant heart, interior joy. Your word, living on the inside with experiential knowledge. You wanna make us those that say, I have tasted and I've seen, he is good. But I ask that you would take us on that journey. I ask for each one that we would each have the courage to, to sit before you in the place of prayer by faith, taking the word of God, taking John 13 to 17, Lord, and dialoguing with you. Lord, admitting our spiritual lack. I ask for the courage to repent. I ask for the courage to face where we're really at, but then to go after it to reach, to press, to buy that gold. Lord, I ask for the grace that you would draw our hearts, draw our hearts. We want to say yes. I ask that you'd put your grace upon us as a people and individually in Jesus' name. Just
2: as the worship team comes up, I want to encourage you now to to look around for where you're sitting and just begin to cluster into little groups of friends. Whether you know the person around you or not, just have them pray for you for a minute. Let's pray for one another. Think of the students, get in little small groups. Interns, get in, your, get in your groups. Let's just take a minute as we close tonight. Let's pray for one another. Let's ask the Lord for fire on the heart. If you don't know what to pray, it's just the best prayer. Lord, release fire on our hearts. And when we read John 14, let us cry. Help us, Lord.